doing the work makes us happy. Like the work itself makes us happy. It's just like creating makes us happy. But afterwards, right, the marketing, the selling, the putting it out there, the packaging, the whatever it is that we then need to do to move it forward. Then it's just like, ah, oh, really, I don't want to do this part. <laughs> but the truth is you can't run a business that way. Like you have to do all the other not so fun aspects of it. But slowing down helps you really map out exactly what, what it is that you want to see in the end. always been in design we just didn't know it from childhood we've always been very interested in the design of everything um, we've always been very connected to specifically nature whether it's plants or trees or birds, birds you know we've always just always just fascinated us or caterpillars yeah also. um yeah just you know watching their legs like the squiggly legs and then yeah. like the solid legs it's just it's all it's just we've always just been fascinated by the details that nature has this is art is a podcast where we visualize the future of the art world This season, we are revisiting the topics and ideas introduced in season one through conversations with industry leaders, emerging artists, and creative changemakers. Today, we pick up and expand upon season one, episode two, Iteration and Critique, which delved into the value of art-based knowledge tools through a conversation with the incredibly talented design duo Chine and Chuba Ezeguasili. Chine and Chuba are identical twins based in Abuja, Nigeria. Together, they founded Akanka, an interdisciplinary design studio. Their academic backgrounds are actually in sociology and economics, which inform the interdisciplinary nature of their creative processes. Chine and Chuba describe themselves as biophilic designers. Their mission, philosophy, and design framework finds its roots and intentionality in their communal experiences of nature. Their energy and enthusiasm is uniquely compelling. I learned a great deal from our conversation and only further cemented the notion in my mind that we must embrace the dynamic mindset of interdisciplinary learning to expand our horizons both personally and professionally. The mission of Art Is has been to encourage early career creatives, art students, and emerging artists to seek out possible futures for the art world, one where our creative ambitions and professional needs are met. This monumental but essential task will only progress effectively if we look to strategies and innovations from beyond our comfort zones. Only when we look outside of the traditional art world and start breaking down barriers between creative disciplines will we start building a better, more inclusive art world. Exploring design thinking and embracing creative practices like Akanka's framework of intention, which China and Chuba explain in depth in this episode, will enable us as emerging artists to expand our creative knowledge tools, bring the confidence we have in our studio work to the business side of our art careers, and overcome professional challenges posed by the traditionalism of the art world, COVID-19, and beyond. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. We, we have always worked together. I think as, as children, we didn't have toys or um, any of the stuff that kids had. So we, we, we spent a lot of time just really creating our own fun. Yeah. 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 We, we couldn't afford all those toys. So we just, we just created stuff. Um, and it's been it's been great because I think one of the conversations that we we we've been having recently is sort of the privilege that comes with being twins and working together. Uh, when you're one person who's creating, it, there's there's room for doubt, right? Because you're just like, is, is what I've done is it that good? Uh, you know, you're sort of looking for validation from other people. 
as twins, you know, <laughs> validation from anyone. You're just like, ah, oh, man, like, this is dope. It's yes, awesome. like, it's high five. You know, like, Next. <laughs> you enjoy it as twins, yeah. you know, and, and that sort of builds the sense of confidence or creative confidence in what we do. And, and so it just sort of made it, it made it easier to start things that other people wouldn't do just because they'd be doing it by themselves, unless you had someone, a best friend or good friend to do it with. It's an advantage that we have because I also as identical twins, you, uh, from a nature also nurture point of view, uh, the sense of taste is very it's very similar, but at the same time also different. And no one, there's no hard feelings. It's just like, yeah, can we do this differently? And then the other person is like, ah, I see what you did, like, and it makes sense. So it's it's a it's a privilege that we have. But I think more than anything else, starting a business together really teaches you to communicate better. Yeah. Because just being twins doesn't mean you have good communication. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't in any way. Like in fact, some twins hate each other, you know. And but but what's helpful is when you do, when you're like, you know what, we have to do this business, and uh, this business has to run. And then it means you have to do whatever it takes to communicate better. Um, and and that's really what we've done, and we've been grateful for that because it's really helped our relationship like over the over, over time. Do you think that those experiences studying economics and sociology impacted the way you develop your business? I know that interdisciplinarity is a huge part of Akanka, and I'd love to hear a little bit about how that feeds into the design that you're working on and how you're building your business. Just speaking from my own perspective as a sociologist, uh, one of the things that you that you realize, you know, as a sociologist, is that everything is designed. I mean, when I say everything, I mean systems are designed. Um, as a society, decisions are really made out of design or a lack of design. And when you're able to see how these decisions really affect a society, you're able to, you know, you get a sense that design is not just limited to moving pixels, but is, but it's really um, um, as intrinsic as the decisions you make in your life and, and how it affects the society as a whole. So a lot about our evolution as a company has really included that, has included that evolution of consciousness. So it's, it's that we're not just designing because um, we want to move pixels or make money, but we're also, but we're most importantly, designing because we want to be able to change the world, you know, for, for better change um, our reality to be one that is, you know, with peace, joy and happiness. So it, it really impacted how we think about these things in, in a way that was more systemic than just singular. Because the state of design just needed to be improved in, in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it felt like a lot of design was not as intentional as it needed to be. So we said, you know what, what does it look like to, to, as opposed to just talking about it, what does it look like to actually do something about it? So that's how, uh, that's how we started the Kanka. Yeah. It's interesting because hearing him say this way hearing you say this way has been, is interesting because what you realize is the two fields like the field of economics and the field of sociology are fields that look at things from a systematic point of view so how does how do other systems operate or affect a system you you think about economics for example um the fall in the price of oil can significantly impact a whole lot of aspects of the yeah, entire system and, and, and economic system right and is, is the same thing to decisions that are made in particular aspects of our society functions affects every other thing. So how then do you 
you know, so for us, we see, we think about design from that point of view, respectively, whatever we're designing, we're thinking about it from that point of view. So if we're working with a business, for example, um, we, we're not the kind of people you call to say, hey, just design a website for us. Like, and the first question we're going to ask you is, what's your intention? And how does this website link to every other aspect of what your business is about? Because that is helpful in then helping us ensure that we're designing something that's cohesive as a brand for you. So that understanding is very, was very key across everything that we design is, are, are we ensuring that it's, we understand the, the role that design plays in whatever it is that we're doing? Are we ensuring that we understand the intention? Mm-hmm. Because once we do, then it's a lot better and you design something that actually works. I have such intentionality in the studio when I'm making a piece. I work in sculpture, so it's kind mm. of it's very systematic. But then when I think about, okay, well, how do I want to show my work or where do I want to put it? How do I want to interact with the world? I lose all of that because I don't have that creative confidence outside of making. And that's something mm. that I've been really concerned with and thinking a lot about in the last year during the pandemic and seeing the state of the creative industries I was wondering if you could speak to the design mindset that you guys use in creating this intentionality to ensure that both for your private practices and also for the client work you do, there's cohesiveness and there's a plan and that there's sustainability for that project. Mm, 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 mm. That's a good one. Um, I think a good place to start is how we came up with this. We, I think we sort of just, designed without really knowing so then people would ask how how are you guys how are you so creative we really couldn't explain you know (laughs) it's like you sort of just did it but you couldn't explain why and how that happened um but during the lockdown period which is what last year Mm we um we spent the entire time turning our concrete walkway into into a botanical garden and it, it meant that we had to do a crazy amount of gardening. Yeah. And in doing a crazy amount of gardening, we really, really, really got up and close with nature in, in, to the level that we hadn't in the longest time. And in doing so, there's, sort of, there's a lot of lessons that came out of it. And we distilled those lessons into what we call the framework of intention because mm-hmm. nature is very intentional. And um, yeah, and that framework, Gina is going to talk about it. Yeah, so <clears throat> the framework of intention um, is broken down to three steps. Oh, so think of it as, as a cycle too as well. Um, and the first part of the framework is to, is to slow down. I think that was one of the things that just being in touch with nature, you know, brought to us just the, the recognition of the fact that we had to slow down when you want to do anything before you, if you want to be intentional, if you want to have an idea, if you want to have a plan, you have to really slow down to actually think about what it is that you want to do. Or is it that you want to get to think of it as a journey, you know, um, before you set on journey, you, you have to have a sense of where it is you're going as opposed to just <laughs> driving. Um, so slowing down was a very key part of that. And, and slowing down takes place in different ways. One of the ways to slow down is through meditation. Meditation is a great way because when you slow down to meditate, you can be in the moment. And that is very key because if you're in reality, you want to ensure that everything that is happening, you're aware of it and that you are in sync with your surroundings. And just being able to meditate is a key step into being able to to get yourself 
locked into reality as it is. Another way of slowing down is also journaling. Uh, journaling is good because it allows you to reflect and that is very important. I think one of the things that we say is that your life is a movie and if you slow down to reflect, you're going to be able to see sort of the important parts of your life and you're also going to see the patterns as well. And when you're able to see the patterns, you're able to know what about those patterns can you make better and what about those patterns can you adjust or change or really eliminate. So doing this allows you really see your life in a timeline that allows you make better decisions in your future. I think another part of slowing down is also exercising as well. Exercising is a good way to slow down. When you're exercising, you're really repeating the process over and over again. And that puts you in almost a meditative state that allows your mind the ability to concentrate and focus. And that concentration and focus, just like with meditation, is key towards being able to create an intention. Uh, the, the framework is sort of think about it like buckets and, and whatever goes into that bucket is very contextual. So in the case of, but one of well, why we list these actions first is because we believe that it's important that whatever it is that you're doing starts from your mind. It starts mm-hmm. from within um, because once you can do that, then it's easier for you to apply this framework even to the work that you do. So for example, you talk about your sculptures that you create, right? And then you get to the part where it comes to sort of the presentation or like marketing or I don't know what, what other words you want to use. And then you're sort of like, where do I go? And I think this is where the framework comes in, where once you, what's, what, 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 when you're slowing down, you're starting the project by saying, Am I looking at this from a holistic point of view? You know, so as opposed to just the creating, because that's, and that's the thing with creatives. It can be so, like doing the work makes us happy. Like the work itself makes us happy. It's just like creating makes us happy. But afterwards, right, the marketing, the selling, the putting it out there, the packaging, the, whatever it is that we then need to do to move it forward. Then it's just like, oh, really, I don't want to do this part. But the truth is you can't, run a business that way like you have to do all the other not so fun aspects of it but slowing down helps you really map out exactly what what it is that you want to see in the end so in the end right it's not just that you want to create in the end is that you want to create and then other steps are included so when you slow down you know what those steps are and then it's then helpful for you when you're then moving on in terms of the project the second step then helps you see what it is that you need and the second step is for you to give gratitude so that's what we call the second step give gratitude because when you're in a state of gratitude you see what surrounds you you know and many times it can get so easy to just focus on just the work and then you sort of tunnel vision yourself into it Um, and then you're not seeing those resources that you're surrounded with you know so whether it's um thinking about okay i i'm i'm not really good at selling but do i know someone who can help with that or who can i talk to or what resource can i listen to or learn or read because there's this information out there that can then help you become better at that aspect that you might find difficult but it will only come when you slow down enough to know that you need it right and then two you're great. You're giving gratitude enough to know that, you know, I'm grateful for what exists out there. Um, gratitude helps you see. So once you're able to see, uh, you're able to then therefore say, okay, I need this. Okay. You know what? Thank you life for presenting this to me. Now I'm going to take this and, and, and use this to move my project forward. 
right? So that's where gratitude comes in. Um, we can talk about it also just from the mental aspects of it, of gratitude, of giving gratitude, because it's an entirely, it's a superpower to have where you're able to say, um, am I, what am I, am I, how am I expressing gratitude on a consistent basis, mm-hmm. irrespective of what happens? And, and it, this is especially critical for creatives because a lot of times uh, when things don't go well for creatives or maybe we get like a bad review or something, creatives sort of like just let it sink them. And it's, it's a very important thing to not let situations that come destabilize you as a creative mm-hmm. because once it damages your confidence, that's everything. You know, it becomes a lot more difficult to think and be creative. But once you're in a state of gratitude, you're saying to yourself, irrespective of what comes, I'm going to see the lessons in it and I will take the lessons out of it, right? And the rest, whatever, you know, but what are the lessons that you can learn from it? So even if someone, someone leaves a harsh review of your work, right, what can you take out of it? Like, even just as a creative, that's content for you. Like, how do you take that and spin it into something? <laughs> you know, how do you create a sculpture of, of, uh, of negative reviews? <laughs> I don't know, something cool. Like, there's always something to yeah. be done as a creative. You're, you are a god in that world, and you can create whatever, right? But it only happens when you stop running away from situations that might be unpleasant, because that then stops you from experimenting, and that's a very important part of that, your growth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the second step. And then I guess Tina can then talk about how the third steps actually helps you take whatever lessons that you've learned and also the blessings that have also come because you've been, you've, you've opened up yourself to learning and how you then take that and run with it. The third step is to take responsibility. Taking responsibility is key because it allows you to take those lessons and the blessings that life leaves you with uh, in every moment and allows you to take them and convert them into something that allows you move further in life or allows you get what it is that you want out of life. We always have this um, example. If I was to give you a potato, okay, as a gift, you know, basket of potatoes as a gift and you don't cook it. You just leave it there. You don't do anything with it. It's going to spoil, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the same way to think about life. There are all these things that are available to us. They are the blessings. There's, there's the resources that exist within us and also outside us. But if we don't slow down enough to give gratitude for them and see them and then take responsibility for using them or crafting them, nothing can exist you know, at the end of the day, it's wasted. You think of it as, as yourself as a sculpture. Um, I can give you a ton of clay now and be like, yeah, here you go. Here's some, here's some clay to sculpt something. But if you don't sculpt with the clay, nothing happens. You know, nothing exists. So th- that taking responsibility is really key um, in terms of making and creating the future that, it, that you want to see. It, it, it really requires you just say, right now I have what it requires to make what I want to see. Now, it's about me putting in the energy, whatever it is, whether it's a, a decision, whether it's, an, whether it's a product, whether it's, it's an art, whatever it is, as, as long as you're able to sort of slow down enough to see what it is and see what you have to create it, and then you take that step, that next step of actually taking responsibility to do it. The moment you're able to do that is the moment you would have been intentional. It's so insightful to hear you guys explain that in in such depth. Thank you. 
something that so many young emerging creatives are dealing with at the moment is this idea of scarcity. Like there's only a few opportunities out there. There's only a few jobs that are paid. There's only some residencies. There's only some shows that I can deal with. And so it fosters this incredible competition between peers rather than what we would hope for, which is a supportive environment. Personally, I've dealt with those feelings. And I know in the past episode that just came out, we talked about that in quite a lot of depth. So I wonder if you could speak to that scarcity mentality and overcoming that feeling of competition and insecurity. It's, it's interesting because we've had similar conversations about the creative space as well in Nigeria and how a lot of times you don't see collaboration because people think like there's not enough. Uh, I, I have to get it. I have to be number one. I think we talked about what does it look like to conquer that mentality? One of the things that we, we say is that whatever it is that you see or that you believe out of life is what life brings to you so if all you see is scarcity you will find scarcity i mean it's also just a psychological as i think part of being an economist is also i'm a behavioral economist right in that is what you call confirmation bias and when you're running with a scarcity mindset you're going to always find scarcity surround you all the time of course the reality is still there which is that there are a limited number of either residencies or opportunities or whatever well i think what's helpful is thinking about how you create opportunities for yourself that don't exist and that's a lot harder but the one thing that happens right is a lot of times people only see the things that they think are available because that's what everyone else has seen and that's the easy thing to see so of course it's going to be scarce because everyone can see it and everyone's going to go for it right but i think one of the things that we try to to do is push ourselves to ask the question how do we see more opportunities how do we see more opportunities that we can create for ourselves and that's a lot more difficult it is a lot more difficult right because i mean we we had to do that as a business where where over time we, 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 we focused less on the standard things that come with it, being a design studio, brand identity, websites, all of those sort of things, because everyone is competing there. And then the question is, how do you create what business people call a blue ocean? Like, how do you basically create a whole new pathway that opens up a space of opportunity? And the truth is, if you don't think that that's possible, it's never going to be possible. It just isn't going to be possible. For us, we have to tell ourselves it's possible for us to become a new type of company that focuses on more than just design the way people see design. And what that has done for us is that it's opened up whole new opportunities that we didn't think about, we'd never seen coming. And we've not even scratched the surface of them because we're able to say, it's going to be a lot harder for us to say, hey, what does it look like to look outside of where everyone is looking? It's always going to be a lot more difficult when who does the work of taking responsibility to find it. Do you guys use visualization or goal setting or are there any kind of frameworks that you use to project ideas? Yeah, like, like what's, what's the, the vibe? vibe? What's the vibe? You know, what's the vibe really? Because if you're able to identify the vibe, and it, it sounds so wishy, <laughs> it sounds so wishy-washy, but, but it's a thing. Like, you, it's like, how do you, how should it make you feel? So, for example, people think that if I 
happiness is defined by having $1 million in my account, right? But a lot of people get to $1 million in their account and they're like, holy crap, I'm not happy here. But that's because they didn't look at it from a point of view of how, what's the feeling of what do I want, what do I imagine it would feel like to actually be happy versus a proxy. The $1 million is a proxy. The actual feeling itself is the feeling, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So once you can focus on the feeling that you want to feel, you're more likely to get there. And as a matter of fact, you could even get there on a dollar. A dollar would, would be, might be what it takes for you to actually get there. Once you're able to, to, to really focus on the feeling and then you can see that that dollar is what then allows you to get to the $1 million. But the point of it is when you focus on the feeling or on the energy that you want to feel, on the vibe that you want to feel, you're more likely to get to what it is you want to get to because the way life works is that what you're focused on is what becomes your reality. And a lot of people are focused on the proxies for what they believe happiness is. They're focused on money. They're focused on a better job. They're focused on better clients. And all of all these things are just proxies. So what happens is that they get there and then they're like, ah, yeah, I want more. This is not enough. I think I need more. It's never enough. You know, but once the, the focus is on exactly how you want to feel, I want to feel happy. All of a sudden, you're creating based on that. And a concrete example of this is our studio. Um, where we started creating our studio, we, we told ourselves, we're like, we want to be able to create a space that feels like, like, you know, like therapy for the, for the mind. Like, it just feels like heaven. Like we want that to be the feeling that like you come in there and you just feel like, God, I'm in heaven. Like I feel so good. Like whatever is in your mind just, you know, goes. And because we started it from that direction as opposed to saying we want to create a studio that has this and that has that and that has that and that has that, it meant that we were across the timeline of creating the studio, there were serendipitous moments that led us towards creating something that matches exactly the energy that we started with in the first place yeah yeah so i think just to also bring you back and make it a bit more concrete for listeners right you start with what you want the energy to feel like so whatever you can call it visualization like you you sort of project it but then you work backwards so then you say okay this is what i want it to look like or feel like but based on where i am now as well what resources do I have mm-hmm. right, that, can, that I can use to get me towards that feeling or towards that vibe? And you, you start using those resources because many times people sort of visualize and then they see something so huge <laughs> and then they're just discouraged and they're like, well, that, that was fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. It's not going to like, I, I need $20,000 or $100,000 to get this off the ground, you know, versus visualizing and then asking yourself what does a, what's a minimum viable product look like what do i have right now that can at least get me a step further and we had to do that because we 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 didn't have money to design the studio we just sort of scrounged from here and there and then you know with something would come and we say oh this this works for the vibe and then we'd put it there and that works and we put it there but i think starting with that intention and then visualizing the intention and then really mapping out like sort of walking backwards to say what are the things that would then need to come together to make this possible is a helpful framework for for people to build this but then the other rule is always use what you have 
Mm-hmm. There's so much that people have that they don't realize that they do because they focus on what they don't have. So when you use what you have, it makes it easier for you to get to that final destination. What's so amazing about that is I feel like so many artists start with that, you know, with their practice. I want to make a painting. I, I want it to be 10 meters by 10 meters. Well, okay, I only have one meter of canvas. Okay, start with <laughs> one meter, you know, and just being like myself in the studio, I, I became obsessed with casting resin, which was a really expensive material. So I just decided, okay, I'll cast mostly with cement and then just use like two or three centimeters of resin so that it has that impact. But uh, that was, you know, what okay. I could afford. I feel like we have all these skills in our in our creative belt and our toolbox, but we're afraid to take them out of the studio and extending them to our personal lives, our professional mindsets is it's so necessary. Yeah, what you've what you've said is, is really on point. Because one of the things that we that we talk about is that people sort of create these delineations between work and, and their personal life. life. Yeah. And it's just like, it's actually life. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all one and the same. And the, the habits that you cultivate in your personal life will come into your business life. And the, and the decisions and habits that you make in your business life will come into your personal life because they're all one and the same. There's certain things that people do in business that moves the business forward. Right. And business is a, like people see business as a, as a lot more high stake, like someone's money is in this. So we have to do things in this process. And why, if the process works, right, why not just take the same process and apply it also to your personal life or other aspects of your life? So if, if you're creative and you see that there's certain things that you do that helps you get the work done, think about how those same things apply to your business life right or to your personal life as well and and that's what we've had to do mm-hmm. with the framework where we we saw that okay this works from a business point of view in terms of creating something but then we have to say to ourselves okay what does it look like to use this framework in how in terms of how we communicate with each other mm-hmm. and it was fantastic right because all of a sudden we saw that energy skills, and that's one thing to always remember, energy skills. So if you can, if you just sort of remove that mental block that says, this is work and this is life and they're different. Life is, work is a huge aspect of your life. They're not different. So when people say work-life balance, it doesn't make any sense <laughs> because your work is kind of, you know, <laughs> your life. Your life, <laughs> you know, so I think, and this is not a, this is not an argument. This is not a case of saying, spend your entire time working because that's your life no yeah no it's just that make sure that the good habits that you have in your personal life also show up in your work life and then make sure that the good habits that you have in your work life also show up in your personal life and then that way you actually just feel like you're having fun like whenever you just like you're working <laughs> eventually all we all just want to do is just be yeah that's it that's it yeah so you can just find us on a canker design on instagram uh, or you can find Chuba SX, C-H-U-B-A-E-Z-E-K-S and C-H-I-N-E, E-Z-E-K-S. Uh, I suppose for my last words, uh, remember, just slow down, give gratitude, take responsibility and figure out how you can apply to everything that you do and you will always come up with a most designed response or product or action to it. Thank you for listening to the second episode of Art Is Season 2. This episode, I'd like to thank our guests, Chine and Tuba Ezeguasili. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom with us. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Also, remember to subscribe to Art Is so that you get our next episode in your feed out on June 15th. And before you go, I wanted to mention the Art Is Bookshop, created through bookshop.org, an online platform built to financially support local independent bookstores. It's important to me that this podcast is a resource for you, so I've carefully curated a selection of books for your continued professional and personal development. You can find links to both U.S. and U.K. bookshops in the episode description and on the Artist Instagram and Twitter, at Artist Podcast. By purchasing books through these links, you'll be supporting independent bookstores and this podcast. Thanks, and see you soon.